All right. Hello, everybody. <laughs> you know, amazingly, we're actually, oh, we're one minute late. Um, so Kevin, Kevin made his first, what would you call that? He won't say it's my first. Kevin made his greatest technical error. Of the day. Of the day. <laughs> Hello, everybody. All right. We got Winfield saying he's enjoying the book and sent one to his sister in North Carolina. That's awesome. Welcome everybody. Good to have you guys here. Um, yeah, we're, we're all, I, I don't know about you. I got, I'm all scatterbrained from Kevin's mistake from Kevin's <laughs> mistake. Um, for the, for the next five minutes, you, you will be able to watch a like four second long live stream that we accidentally just posted instead of in this live stream of you saying, okay, I did. Well, that was before we went live. I think it's literally going to be two seconds of me saying, no, 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 no. End that. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome everybody good to see you you know uh it's funny we normally start off our show with some like light-hearted banter but it feels yeah. like with what we're going to talk no, about tonight it's very very heavy stuff um it, it almost makes me want to go like I, I don't feel like we can really we got people in the chat talking about global thermonuclear war which we're not going to talk about that tonight but no Other um, heavy stuff yeah so last week we had planned to talk about um, slavery as part of our kind of Old Testament law section, and we didn't get to it, which ended up being a good thing. Yeah, probably a good thing. The more we've talked about it this week, the more we've realized not only did we should we not have tried to fit it in there, we're not going to try to combine it with the question of if the Bible is misogynistic either. Like mm -hmm. it's it deserves its own week. There's enough to talk about to fully understand this. Yeah, part part of the problem is that not only do every one of these topics deserve their own week every one of these topics deserve their own 10 weeks. Yeah. And even then you wouldn't right. even come close to kind of mining the depths, but it is a weekly kind of program. We do this once a week. And so if you want to go deeper, you can always email us. We'll send you a list of dozens of books that you could read. But um, yeah, in one sense, any one of these topics should be more than one week, but definitely at least at minimum one week for each one of these topics. Yeah, so what that means is we're realizing the series is going to be longer than we had originally planned for it to be, um, yep. which I think is good because, again, these are the actual questions that you are likely to either have on your own or get yep. asked at some point by a skeptic or a fellow Christian. So it's good. Um, it'll probably be longer, especially because we're going to take a little break around Easter time um, mm -hmm. for a, a few weeks. So with that in mind, settle in. Cause I, I, I think it's better to take our time. So tonight we're going to just talk about does the Bible endorse slavery? Mm -hmm. What's going on with slavery in the Bible? Um, next week we'll tackle the topic of, of women in the Bible and whether the Bible is a misogynistic book mm -hmm. as it's often accused of being. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see where we go from there, but we got plenty to talk yeah. about tonight. So this is probably if not the single most troubling thing in the Bible or that's not in the Bible, you could say one of them. I mean, top three. Yeah, I'd say, say top three. And one of the interesting things is that, and I think we mentioned this on a previous episode, but um, kind of old school traditional apologetics were asking questions about, they were the technical term is epistemological questions. They were asking questions of truth. Did Jesus physically rise from the dead? What's the historical evidence? What's the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus? Are the New Testament manuscripts reliable? Can we trust the Bible? Um, majority of the issues on the ground where apologetics is needed are not necessarily to do with truth questions, but they're ethical questions, moral questions. So it says, I'll grant you 
that God exists. Yeah, let's say for the sake of argument that God I'll does give you real. that. But the God that is revealed in your book is not a good God. Right. And so it's an ethical, moral dimension you're, you're, you're in. It's, it's dealing with the character of God. So people don't want to worship that God. Yeah. Um, and this is one of those areas because it's a, let's say, let's say there is a God. God possibly couldn't have allowed all the stuff regarding slavery that's in the scriptures, particularly the Old Testament, but also the New Testament as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those things where, like everything in this series, the accusation fits really well into memes and one-liners and stuff. Yeah. But the response is nuanced and long and theologically complex. And it's not an easy, like, one-sentence answer to a one-sentence accusation. Because the accusation can be, hey, the Bible never even says slavery is wrong. Yep. And that's true. Mm-hmm. So it's it, like that one-line kind of attack on Christianity in the Bible hits really, really well. And the the truth is, the response is not one sentence long. Hopefully, it's one hour long. You know what yeah. I mean? But like, to your point, um, to fully understand the depths of it um, is, is much more than that. And so to kind of summarize what we talked about last week and um, just in kind of this series for the next few weeks, um, there are Old Testament laws and principles that don't have validity today. This is what we talked about last week. I mean, there's a, a flow to the story of Scripture. Or I would it, say it's not that they don't have validity today. It's they are no longer binding. Yeah, validity is a bad word. They are no longer binding. On they were they were binding to ethnic Israel in, in which in whom they were bound to in the, the covenant type. Yeah, of that's that's more precise. And and the flow and the story of the Bible accounts for why some things are commanded earlier that are no longer in effect now. Yeah. And to today's point, why there are some things that were permitted earlier that yeah. no longer are. Um, and so last week we really emphasized the why are there things that are commanded that yeah. no longer are. And t- tonight and next week, we're looking at more why are there some things that were permitted that no longer are. Yeah. Um, and again, that's a complicated question. So there, like Isaac said, we don't have to actually look directly at examples, but both Old Testament and New Testament has things that explicitly seem to be endorsing slavery. I think it's a really important point to say up front. There is nothing in the Bible that commands slavery. Um, Mm -hmm. There's never a place where God says, go and do this, Mm -hmm. but there are places in old Testament law, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy Mm -hmm. that at least allow, if not endorse slavery. Yeah. The, 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 the argument the non-Christian would make is that it's endorsing it and it's for it. Yeah. Um, The Christian is somewhere in the space of like, I know God can't possibly like this if he's a good God, but there's verses that appear to he's be at least an allowance yeah. of it. And the New Testament, same thing. There's all, there's verses in Paul in particular that where he'll say things like, um, you know, slaves obey your masters. That's one that, that's on billboards all the time. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of like if we were going to show memes tonight, there's there people have made billboards and memes that have horrific pictures of slaves from the time of the transatlantic slave trade. Yeah that say slaves obey your masters and have that verse. Um, yeah. And it's, it's just so, it's so, it's so heavy. The, the level of immense human suffering that has taken place with the institution of slavery. And what people need to understand is not even just until relatively recent human history, I'm talking current human history, right? There are people in slavery today. Um, there are more people in slavery today than there were during the time of the transatlantic yeah. slave trade. And so it's a, it's a horrific thing. And so you, we want to walk into this, um, 
with fear and trembling. Yeah. Yeah. And with an honest, again, an honest, just from the get go saying this is not easy and it's not crystal clear and it requires some nuance to understand what's happening yeah. in the story Which of scripture. Everything in the Bible does. I mean, again, to, to one of the gr- bigger points of this series has been that, um, our culture is so much a culture of one-liners and headlines. Uh, And whoever has the best one-liner, who has the best headline, who has best meme wins the day. Um, And the Bible as a whole is a book written by, as we say, tons of different author over a huge amount of time in different, different places, um, different languages. And so it's not just a book of one-liners that win the day. It's, it's a deep book that is doing so much more than just trying to create a meme for the 21st century. Yeah, I mean, think about the fact that the articles that get read the most are ones that are like top 10 things that you blah, blah, blah. And it's, you know, the list art, the listicles is what they call them because yeah. it's a list-based article. It's, it's actually, so you guys know this, they they figured out that the type of articles that people will read are articles where they can write seven sentences that are bold. And what you do as a reader, you don't read the four pages. Yep. You read the seven bullet points and then you go on to the next thing. So the entire article is written just to get you to read those bold points, just so you click on it. And exactly. And that's why, you know, you guys just, this is, this is for free. This isn't even part of tonight. They could make all 10 of them on one page that you just scroll through. But have you ever noticed you read two or three and then you click to the next page, two or three more click to the next page. It's because every time you click, they get something from people you. don't care about teaching you something. They care about clips. Right. And so the Bible is not, you know, a top 10 list kind of thing. So anyway, nope. let's, nope. let's, let's dive in. Cause we have a lot to cover. So the first thing that we do want to talk about, um, and this was already this, it's really important to say up front, the thing we're going to start with is often overstated yeah. by Christians and specifically by apologists. So, um, We've already, we actually got a comment on our last video by someone sort of preemptively saying, hey, please don't just say yeah. the thing we're about to say. So I want to say up front, this is not the only thing we have to say, yeah. but it is It, it, it covers is a big chunk and we'll look at the big chunk and then we'll move into the smaller piece that's a little bit more difficult. Yeah. So the, the big thing is the understanding the differences between slavery in the kind of modern era and the, during the transatlantic slave trade and in the modern world understanding the difference between that and the slavery of the ancient world. And again, it does not account for all of the difficult passages about slavery. No. And there, and a mistake that Christians make sometimes is to say like, oh, no, 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 no. Slavery is not in the Bible. Slavery didn't work back then the way it does now. Yeah. And it's so like for most exa- things. So that's, it, sorry, sorry, but for example, like in the New Testament, the word for slave is the Greek word doulos. And yeah. depending upon your Bible translation, it may be translated servant or doulos. Yeah. And people would say, see. Servant or slave, you mean. So, uh, Yes. <laughs> I, I translated it in English in my yeah. brain. I said it again in Greek. Yeah, you did. You said servant Thank or you. doulos. Thank and, you. I mean, if you, it's true that if you have a Greek New Testament, that's what it will say. That's what it would say. <laughs> Thank you for that clarification. But um, so the argument to your point will be, you know, sometimes they mistranslate. Did that shock you again? It, it has shocked me more than once. Samson. Our microphones are electric. Or has it done, done it to you? No. Are, my microphone's electrocuting me tonight so far. It's okay. No. Now it's funny that it's doing it to me because as a quick side note here, Isaac is notorious for getting shocked by everything. Yeah, all my the dreadlocks time. create some type of strats <laughs> and he's, you know, he's bald, um, but the dreadlocks create some. <laughs> I mean, the Bible says very clearly that men shouldn't have long hair. And the Bible also teaches that you bear in your body yeah, the consequences true. of your it's sin. It's true, unless it's a Na- Nazaritic vow, which is a holy thing, which you know nothing of. But <laughs> um, Are you under a Nazarite <laughs> vow? <laughs> Didn't say it was. Okay. So, 
so <laughs> doulos, depending upon your English translation, will say slave or servant. And typically what people could do is argue, well, in, in much of the ancient world, we're talking about indentured servitude where people would, would see it as a financial opportunity yeah. to put themselves into some type of servitude for X amount of years to work themselves out of a debt. And to their argument, that's true. That's true. And that accounts for a really large percentage of ancient slavery. Yeah, tons of it. And, and the basic way that it would work is you are desperate. You have nothing to sell, no way to survive. And so you sell yourself, mm-hmm. but not as a possession. And this mm-hmm. is the big difference. You're not going to be owned by the other person. You're selling your kind of work for an agreed upon amount of time until you can ideally work your way yeah. out of debt. And so it was a, it was like, you know, it's almost like the kind of like the social safety net of the ancient world is that if you hit rock bottom, you sell yourself into servitude until you Better can. Better to do that than to starve. Absolutely. And so um, th- this was massive. I mean, some scholars say, m- not some, most scholars say that up to 30% yeah, of a third, people. A third of Rome. I mean, that's wild yeah. in the first century. 30% of people yeah. in slavery. Um, including this kind of indentured servitude model. And this is uh, one thing that's really important is that everything about slavery in the Old Testament that is about Hebrews and other Hebrews. So if it's Israel dealing with other Israelites, all of it is this. Mm-hmm. So there is an, and the end again, that doesn't account for everything, but that accounts for a huge percentage yeah. of the texts that look really troubling on the surface. So there's a text in Exodus that says, you know, you can sell your daughter into slavery if, and, and, you read that as a modern person and you only have one idea of what slavery is and you go sell your daughter into slavery. Like mm-hmm. that's the worst thing I've ever heard. But, uh, if it's, if it is Hebrew to another Hebrew, if it's a Jewish person to another Jewish person, it is always indentured servitude, not slavery. Um, and there's all kinds of regulations on that. We'll get into that in a, in a little bit, but again, to clarify, as you said, a big chunk of this stuff falls into that type of category. Yeah. One third of Rome is slaves. We don't know what exact percentage of that was treated in this manner, but we also know that Romans treated their slaves horrifically. Yes. And we'll get to this later, but crucifixion is an execution reserved for a slave. So we, we're we not trying to do what many people have done and yeah. belittle the question, but we want to deal with things in pieces. Yeah. And starting off to say is that the majority of stuff that people bring up, like the passage that you said, it's not the same thing. We are importing a modern idea back into the ancient world. Yeah. And you're right, for sure. Every, the most horrible stuff in the world happened to slaves. I mean, they were treated like objects. Sexually, they were treated like objects in the Greco-Roman world. But at the same time, having that safety net was literally in a life In the Old saver. Testament. We're in talking the Old about Testament. Old Testament slavery, yeah. not Roman slavery, but Old Testament passages. And we're looking at those there are these, well, and, and I, I think you're, you're going to get to some in a second, but there's, there's things like every seven years. Yeah, so let's talk about it now. Yeah, go for it. So, it, so in the Old Testament, you've heard of things like um, the years, uh, the sabbatical years, Jubilee is the big one. It's what I named my daughter after. Um, and the idea is that every set amount of time you restore people's property that they've sold. And if there's a Jewish person who has been, um, has sold themselves into servitude to another Jew, they're released. Mm-hmm. So, if you, the short version of this is if you are an Israelite who sells yourself into servitude to another Israelite, if the law is being followed, the longest that can possibly last is seven years. Seven years. So you're, um, if again, a huge, 
huge percentage of the verses where you're reading it and you go, slavery, like mm -hmm. buy them as a slave, sell your daughter as a slave. Everybody knows if you're following the law, seven years later, that person's released. So it's just straight up, not slavery. Mm -hmm. Those things are, are indentured servitude. Um, which is again, not the same thing. And there are rules on how you would teach that per treat the person who is a servant. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I wrote, I, I grabbed, we don't have to actually look at it, but I grabbed this verse from Deuteronomy 15. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman is sold to you, he shall serve you six years. And in the seventh year, you shall let him go free. And when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty handed. And then it goes on and on. And it's modeled after the Exodus and the fact that when the Israelites escape from slavery, when God rescues yes. them, they leave rich because yep. the, the Egyptians are just giving them stuff, gold and food. Yep. And, and so the, if you actually read the rest of Deuteronomy 15, starting at verse 12, it gives you all these stipulations that if, if your brother or sister has to sell themselves into, into servitude to you, they serve you for six years. And on the seventh year, you don't just set them free. Yeah. You set them up. You give them everything they because need. Because you might be putting them back in the same condition where they have to, again, commit to another seven years. Exactly. And there's really important Which, by the way, the reasons. person who does that in the old, in the gen, in Genesis is the bad guy. That's you know what right. I'm thinking of? No, no. With, with Laban and Oh, Jacob. right, 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 right. So right. there's a seven-year cycle, and he's dishonest with that, and then there's additional seven. Well, the only reason why I bring that up is the Bible, because we'll, we'll hit this at another point. As modern people, we have things like books, and when we make laws... They get written down and copies and you go to, to law school and you learn about it. Yeah. The Bible is being told around the campfire. And so these stories are creating morality and ethics a lot of times. And so oftentimes the Bible can give you a law here, but it's letting you know what God thinks about this behavior through the narrative, through yeah. a story. This will become important for later for a number. Yeah. A number you want to know whether Abraham and Sarah should have done what they did with Hagar? It's not going to say, and that was bad and they shouldn't have done yes. it. You have to read the story and see what happens as yep. a result of that behavior. Yep. Um, and so again, the idea here is, and this is really important theologically, God is creating in Israel this idea that the rest of the ancient Near Eastern nations look to them and see this is what, this is the, this is what it's supposed to be like. Yep. And so in Israel, there is no slave because if you're a Hebrew who has to, out of desperation, sell yourself or your family member mm -hmm. into the servitude of another person. It is temporary, and when you are set free, you're set free in style. Um, so that's... The other thing that's important to note is the kind of the transatlantic slave trade. We think of people in boats going to West Africa and straight up stealing people and kidnapping them and taking them back to be slaves. And it's, it's important to note that that happened in the ancient world, and it is unilaterally condemned in the Bible. So the idea of it in old, in old translations, it was called man stealing. Yeah. So in King James, people like people from that era think man stealing in Exodus, you get the death penalty for doing that. If yeah. you go steal someone to make them a slave, death penalty, super important because you, you have to understand categorically that if people actually obeyed the old Testament law. And we're going to get to the to yeah. new Testament law in a second. But if you just obeyed old Testament law, the taking of someone else and forcing them into slavery, you were killed. Yeah. And that was God's just punishment. So there are ways that you can get slaves and, and we're about to talk about it in a second, but God is clear from the get go. You do not go and kidnap someone to put them into servitude. Mm -hmm. And if anyone does, they die. I mean, that's, 
again, very, very significant, I think, for understanding what God thinks. <laughs> Sorry, I got distracted because Ryan cracked me up. Um, Suzanne Lopez showed up and said, hi, everyone. Sorry, I'm late. And Ryan Zibura said, Suzanne, please enter the class quietly and do not interrupt. That's pretty good. <laughs> that's pretty Ryan good. and Suzanne are homies, so we know that that's, that's said in, in love and in jest. So, okay, anything else to say about that before we move on to the harder stuff? Because that's where I want to spend the majority of our time. No, I think we're good on that. Um, and so just to summarize that, as you're reading through the Old Testament, one of the most important questions to ask when you see something about slavery is, are we talking about Israelites and other Israelites? Mm -hmm. And if you are, I am perfectly comfortable saying you can mentally substitute indentured servant for the term slave anytime that's the situation. Um, and again, there's a whole other area that we could go into about whether or not the Israelites actually did this and kept these laws or not. But the way that what God commanded them to do, that's yeah. how they were supposed to treat each other. Um, okay, so again, the problem is what well, all the stuff we just said is often given as the entire answer to the question. Yes. And there's a reason why we only spent 15 minutes on it because it doesn't answer the whole question. No. Um, there are passages about slavery that are clearly not talking about this sort of indentured servitude. Yeah. Um, I can read one of them. The, um, this is kind of the big one. Um, there's a term that gets used a lot. It's, it's called chattel slavery. Mm. Um, and it's just a word that means possession. And so chattel slavery is differentiated between indentured servitude because in indentured servitude, like we said before, you are not owned. You are a, uh, you are the, you're selling time or yeah. work or effort to somebody. Um, and chattel slavery, the whole idea is you actually, you, you're the person themselves is owned and in perpetuity. And so in Leviticus 25, 44, you re, you get this. Actually, we can pull this one up, Kev. It's 25, 44. Lagos was giving me trouble, so we got this Bible instead. It says, As for your male and female slaves whom you may have, you may buy male and female slaves from among the nations that are around you. You may also buy from among the strangers who sojourn with you and their clans that are with you who have been born in your land, and they may be your property. So we can stop there. That's that's kind of the worst part. Um, yeah, and that's the... To, to be clear, this is the stuff that's often skipped, and we want to not hide troubling passages from the Bible yeah. from you because eventually you're going to see them. And, you know, I could tell you, I mean, so many people, um, they, they encounter these for the first time in college or later in life. And you, you feel betrayed by your church. You feel lied to like, what, how come no one ever said this was in there? Um, so that's, that's why we're looking at these, these difficult ones. Yeah. And you also, um, the other reason is because we believe there's good answers for it. So it's not, you know, we're not hiding from it. Yeah. It's they're complicated answers, but we believe there really are good answers. And this is where we're getting into more theologically deep water. So hang with us. Um, the practice in the ancient world, again, it still doesn't, it's not the same as chattel slavery in the last couple hundred years no. um, or most slavery today. It's still, it's still very different. A lot of the time, the way that people became slaves, especially because man stealing is, is forbidden. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it would be the members of a conquered nation. Mm -hmm. So one nation conquers another and you can either kill or enslave all of the other people. Mm -hmm. So dude, modern Western world, we can't handle this kind of stuff. Yeah. It's a much, it's a rougher world. Yeah. Or you, you burn the city and everything and the people are left to starve Yeah, type, type of thing. So there's a sense in which on the sliding scale of merciful to brutal to take those people as slaves is better than killing them. Well, I mean, and again, it would depend on what type of exactly type Who's, of treatment it would be. And this gets to the point of what is Israel's given laws that are radical for the time. 
absolutely right. radical for the time. So if there's a conquered nation that's being sold and is an Israelite were to come into p- possession of one of those people, God gives these people commands on how they ought to be treated, which one of the most radical ones we were talking before the show is that if there's a someone who runs away, well, go ahead. What's, do you have the exact text? Yeah. Yeah. I can find that one. Um, Deuteronomy 23, 14. Let's pull that up. These are the kind of verses people that you do not have memorized, even if you're a pastor. <laughs> um, oh, that's not right. Let me hold on. Okay. Well, I'll summarize it. No, I know I've got it. It basically says that if someone runs away and a slave, right? A slave runs away and basically they knock on your door. You are actually supposed to take them in and be hospitable and not return them. Right. So there's, there's a, you are not allowed to reach. I'm just reiterating what you just said. You are not allowed to give an escaped slave back to the master they escaped from. That's crazy. And the and there's these there's an embedded idea in there that however they are being treated in Israel that if someone were what to run away that means they're being treated bad to such a degree that that's unjust what's going on there and you're supposed to protect and care for them. Yeah, which is wild. And here's and again this, for the ancient standards this is crazy. And what you that what you just said right there for the ancient standards this is crazy. This gets to the kind of theological nugget of the main point we want to make here. And this is, if you've never thought about God's revelation this way, this can take a while to get your head around, but it's really important. The idea is that the way God has chosen to reveal himself over time was not to show up to Israel and all at once reveal his exact ideal ethical desires for humanity. Yep. He, and this is, we're going to show examples, so hang with us. God does not show up and say, hey, hey Abraham, let me write down for you exactly how I ultimately want all human yeah. beings to treat each other. He just does not do that. He steps, so humanity, the kind of bread of humanity has been baking for a while and it's not good. People treat each other horrible. Mm-hmm. There's tons of horrible human institutions. By the time Jesus is giving the law at Sinai, humanity has had thousands of years to become horrible to each other. Yeah. And the way, what God chooses to do, and there's mystery to this, might not be the way we wish he did it, but this is very clear in scripture. God steps into the flawed systems created by humans, not created by him. Mm -hmm. God didn't create slavery. Humanity did. But God steps into flawed human systems and begins a trajectory through which he is driving people towards his ultimate Mm -hmm. ethic, which will eventually be revealed in the teachings and example of Jesus. Yep. Does that that make sense? Yeah, no, exactly. Is that when you're reading the law, and this is important from last week, the 613 rules, laws, and regulations that God gave ethnic Israel in the Old Testament, you are not seeing God's complete, total, perfectly revealed will. Right. And that may sound like, well, what do you, what do you mean it's not perfect? It's in, it's in the Bible. Well, that's where you get to Jesus, and you start looking at how Jesus and the New Testament Christians related to the law. Right. And it's last not- week I gave the example of of a window on a foggy day. You you turn on your car, it's a cold day, and it, there's, there's kind of ice on it. You can sort of see through it, but you're seeing through a fog. Someone's got to come and melt that ice off so you could see through the windshield clearly. That's exactly what happens in the New Testament, is you get the perfect will of God revealed in the perfect in the, in the person of Christ. Um and a lot of the stuff that you see in the Old Testament, you begin to realize that God gave laws to put boundaries and restraint on human wickedness. Right. 
And this is, this is I mean, really, this really important. Important and not taught often. There are laws that God gave to restrain human wickedness. Right. That doesn't mean he endorses said human wickedness. It says he looks down and says, what a mess these people have made. I have to put restraints on their wickedness because the standard is in Genesis and God creates human beings, male and female in his image. And uh, I could do this in 45 seconds. Um, the image of God in the ancient world, time it, the image of God in the ancient world was reserved for the king or for the pharaoh or for the ruler. And when you saw the ruler, he is the image of God because what he says is supposed to be coming from the mouths of the deities. So the only person in the ancient world that had the image of God was the king, right. maybe the queen, and sometimes the nobility. The rest of the world didn't. When the biblical authors say that God created man and woman in his image, that all humanity is made in his image, it is democratizing the image of God. It is a radical, extraordinary yeah. statement in the ancient world. Not just Pharaoh, not just king, not just the ruling class, not just the elite, not just the rich, but everybody bears the image of God. So that's the standard for human. Yeah. You do the things that God does. All and, and humans I mean, have that. And it's it's there also. I'm jacking up your 45 yeah. seconds because I'm interrupting yeah, you. Yeah. But it's, it's there in just the fact that what is humanity supposed to do? You get your definition of good and bad from God. That's why yeah. you don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. It's not because God wants you dumb. It's because God will tell you yes. what is good and what is bad. Give that some time and humans become extraordinarily corrupt. So much to the point when Israel's story begins, God looks down and he finds one dude. Abraham to begin this story with. Yeah. A dude who's not perfect either. <laughs> Very bad. Just read about his life. Yeah. He creates a people from Abraham's descendants and he gives them a law. And in that law, there are direct commands. You have to do this. Don't do this. But sometimes there are rules that are just trying to put restraints on human wickedness. Yeah. And we could, we could define the reasons why that might be all day, because it's all speculation as far as why is God doing it this way. Yeah. Um, a lot of the the answers that are the most compelling, I think, have to do with God is God is stepping in with flawed, broken people, and to try to kind of turn them into perfect humans in one second just by through laws and commands. Straight up, would not work with free creatures. That's one of the the kind of most common and compelling arguments. And there's this. Oh yeah, and, and uh, Ed and Ed and Dina Bless gave a great example. Um, laws to restrain wickedness—that's where eye for eye comes from. Yeah, that's a great example, and we'll actually look at that. Yeah, we'll get a to that because later. that's not God's perfect no ethical. Jesus is standard. going to say that it very clearly that eye for eye, tooth for tooth was not. You've heard it said. Yeah. yeah. So we'll get, but we'll get there. Um, now, uh, Suzanne, we'll, we're going to bookmark your question because it's a good one for the end. Um, by the way, Kevin found while I was talking, while we were talking, that the verse I was looking for, I was only off by one verse. It's Deuteronomy 23, 15. I've got it up now, Kevin, if you want to go to my screen, um, just so you can see it's there. You shall not give up to his master, a slave who has escaped from his master to you. He shall dwell with you in your midst, in the place that he shall choose within one of your towns, wherever it suits him, you shall not wrong him. That is wildly yeah. out of the norm for the ancient Near East. And that's, that's part of the point is that God is... In his restraint of evil, God is creating laws and norms for Israel that regulate human evil and that actually, in the context of the time, increase the dignity 
of human beings. Im- immensely. If you were to, and again, if Israel did these things, right. but if you were to follow that, the rest of the world would look at Israel and be like, they're different, they're different than, than everywhere, everywhere else. Yeah. And, and, and so slaves, women, outsiders from other places, according to the law to us with 2000 years of Christian in- influence on our ethics and morals, they still look barbaric to us. But in the culture of the time, all of them were increasing the dignity of people. Yeah, and at the end, we'll get to why they look cruel and barbaric. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's crucial. So again, God working within a flawed human system to gradually bring about His will. There's a quote from uh, William Barclay, he's a Bible scholar, who says, "There are some things which cannot be suddenly achieved, and for which the world must wait until the leaven works." Mm-hmm. And so his metaphor is this idea: it's like leaven or yeast that you're going to put the change agent in and let it over time do what it's supposed to do. And this is basically the idea. And, and, and I don't want to give away some of the stuff we're going to get into, but to use a different metaphor, God places the seeds within the law and the Genesis story that will eventually give fruit to the abolishing of slavery. Absolutely. So it's one thing just to say, somewhere thousands of years ago, don't do this. And then you look around and the whole ancient world is still practicing right. slavery. Like a lot of Israel's laws, by the way, which uh, were not obeyed anyway. And at the time, only Israel's reading these things, not the whole world. Right. But the seeds, one being the democratization of the image of God, are there and grow so that eventually the institution crumbles from the inside out. Because the the... It's a little bit heavy, but the gospel comes in and subverts the whole institution. But we'll get to that. We'll we'll talk. Uh, we want to jump to the um, perfect example, the marriage example. Yeah, yeah. Let's do that. And just a couple more examples before, though, of, okay. of God bringing increased dignity. We won't actually read them, but um, again, these don't sound amazing to us. But in the ancient Near East, the fact that in in the Old Testament, if you kill a slave, you're punished for that. Other ancient Near Eastern nations around them in ancient Mesopotamia are not doing that. Um, if you permanently injure a slave, they're set free. Again, escaped slaves are protected from having to return to their master. And then there's a variety of laws that you can read that to you will sound horrible. Um, but a lot of the laws about female slaves are actually designed to protect them from common forms of mistreatment in the ancient mm-hmm. world. So things like using a female slave sexually and then getting rid of her. You can't do that in ancient Israel if you're following the law. You have to treat them like one of your wives, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so, yeah, so so what Isaac was getting to, and this and is- And one of your wives already for the listeners are probably going, oh, great. So <laughs> such a big, good thing that it's it's talking about one of one of your wives. Yeah. Great, great marital ethics in the Old Testament. Exactly. Which is the the transition to the, the Jesus in divorce passage. Yeah. So if we're talking about things that are not part of God's ethical ideal, that are allowed in the Old Testament, under Old Testament law, even though they're not. There are some that are crystal clear because of New Testament teaching. Um, And so it's things like polygamy, um, which we won't look at in detail, but to your point, it's like multiple wives sounds horrible. Well, God doesn't like that. And dude, just as a quick but ne- side But note, in the law, there's never like, thou shalt not take your yeah, fourth You cannot wife. have more than one wife. And again, this is human institutions that are deeply ingrained in ancient Near Eastern culture that God chose not to eliminate via the law mm-hmm. at this point. And, but, and th- this is super important. The narratives all throughout the Old Testament 
are telling you polygamy bad, polygamy yep. bad, poly, poly, but there's not there's not a law yet that's saying straight up this cannot be done. But the narratives, all you have to do is read the scripture. When people take multiple wives, bad things Look, are about seriously, to happen. Read the Old Testament and watch every time someone takes another wife, what happens? It is never ever good for that person. Yeah. And God makes it clear because right after Adam and Eve fall and the Cain and Abel event happens, there's a story of a guy who takes two wives. Yeah. And he's a very he's a bad dude he from is the beginning. The clearest bad guy ever. So polygamy so, from from Genesis four is associated with evil. And this is this is what's crazy. It's the same thing that's gonna happen with the institution of slavery. The Bible lays the seeds for monogamy, namely in the prophets and in in the kind of the Old Testament scriptures that see that God is a faithful God to his wife and he wants his wife Israel to be faithful. Yeah. That by the time you get to the life of Jesus in the first century, polygamy in Israel is not a common thing anymore. Even though there wasn't a, a, a straight up law that said, yeah. don't do this. Israel was known throughout the ancient world of being like, no, the majority of their people. Now there's always some crazy yeah. evil king and stuff like that, but they were already different because they were doing this. And especially post-exile Torah observant yeah. Jews, and especially in the Pharisaic tradition. That's like, yeah. that just is kind of how they roll. And it, and they got that, to your point, there is no Mosaic law saying that you can't have more than one wife. Mm -hmm. They got that from understanding the nature of their God. And the story, the narratives, the nature of their God, the seeds were laid that over the hundreds of years the Old Testament is taking place, by the time you get to the first century world, monogamy standard. Awesome. So the clearest example of this that we can really unpack um, is divorce. Because God in the Old Testament says that he hates divorce. In Malachi, it says, I hate divorce. Mm -hmm. um, but so you go like, well, why is it not forbidden? In fact, it's not only not forbidden, there's a law about how to do it properly. Very similar to the slavery thing. Yeah, it's regulated, it's, not forbidden. There's a restraint given to human evil. But just because God is giving restraints doesn't necessarily mean he approves of the action. Yeah, and if you want to know crystal clearly that he doesn't you just have to go to matthew 19 this is this this is if you understand this this will clear up so much of what we're talking about today. and and this really this passage we're going to look at is the answer to the slavery question in my opinion um at least how it works in the old testament yes. so we're going to read a fairly long section hang with me it's it's really worth getting this whole idea Matthew 19. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him. So they're asking him what they know is a difficult question. Isn't that interesting? They already know. They yep. don't know what he's going to say, but they know asking about divorce is an interesting, yep. is a difficult question. And they ask him, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Now, just as a side note here, they know that that's the answer he's going to give because the trap they're setting is they know he's going to say you shouldn't get a divorce, but then they're going to say, but Moses lets you. But Moses says you can. And that's a demonstration of the fact that already by the first century, Pharisaic Judaism assumed that you don't do this, right? Mm -hmm. So anyway, side note. God allows it. Again, 
I'm, I'm emphasizing this because it, the parallel is clear. God allows it. Moses says you can yeah. do it. He actually gave us laws and that's their on answer. how to do it. So verse seven, they said to him, why then did Moses, and this is a shorthand for saying the Mosaic law, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? That's the question we're asking. If slavery is wrong, why then did God say this is what you should do when you have when slaves? You he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Now, Jesus is, and I say to you, carries the force of law. That's mm -hmm. the way, especially in Matthew, that's the way yeah. that works. Um, so what's happening here? I mean, he says... No, you should not get divorced because what God has joined together, let no man separate. And they go, well, Moses allowed us to. And he goes, it's because you couldn't handle the God's hardness actual of your heart. God saw the hardness of your heart. And so he put restraints, laws to hold back the wickedness that would have occurred. But it's not what God it's actually It's not the original did. design pattern. The original design pattern is image of God, male, female, meant to come together, one flesh unity. And meant to not be separated. Meant to. And so that's, I mean, that is powerful. And once you have that in place, so much other stuff from the Sermon on the Mount in particular suddenly takes on new meaning. I mean, like that's to Dina's point earlier. Jesus says, you've heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Mm -hmm. That's from the Old Testament. And his, and his response is, I say to you, don't resist the evildoer. If someone slaps you on the cheek, let him slap you on the other. I mean, he says, it's not just get even, it's... It's actually a nonviolent, non-resistance approach, which is why. In the Ten Commandments, it's don't commit adultery. For Jesus, don't have lust in your heart. Yeah. So again, it's in Christ, you see the perfect law of yeah. God revealed. Go from don't murder to don't hate your brother. And by the way, how you practice litigation with one another should be informed by a do not murder idea. So it's And then you have Paul, again, as we talked about last week, if you want to fulfill the law, then love. Mm. So you have a creational standard being established. Then you have God restraining human evil and actually transforming it to compare to it was to the ancient world. Then you have Jesus coming going like, dude, you guys, these restraint laws aren't your excuse to make something permissible. Yeah. They're there because of the hardness of your heart. Yeah. Oh, let's look at one crazy example. So this is from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 43. This one blows my mind still. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, and he, what he's doing is he's saying, you have heard it said, and he'll say some combination sometimes of some of its Old Testament teaching, some of its rabbinic teaching that had developed between the time of Moses and the time of Jesus. And this one's a mix. He says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, is that what Leviticus actually no, Leviticus says? Leviticus says the one half and then extra rabbinic tradition added, hate your enemy. Yeah, and that's really interesting because... Leviticus says, love your neighbor as yourself. But it was a right, so the debate was right because people are going like, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And so people would say, eh, your neighbor is a fellow Jewish person. Yep. The, your neighbor are, are your people. And those other people, you don't have to love them. And then someone would ask, if I don't have to love someone who's not my neighbor, what might I be able to do? Hate them. And so by the time of Jesus, Jesus is quoting rabbinic teaching saying, you, what you've heard from the rabbis is love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Mm -hmm. And what, and he adds the actual, what God's actual ethical desire for humans is and says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Incredibly famous verse. And so it's the same thing. He's saying, 
in the Mosaic law, the standard was love your neighbor, but that's actually not all God wants from humanity. God wants you to love your enemy, the person who's hurting you and persecuting you, love and pray for them. So example after example, we could do this all day. That's the story story of the the Good Samaritan too, is what you're saying. It's like, who's my neighbor? Well, it's not just your people. And the person you like least. I want to be clear on one point with the rabbinic traditions. They're not univocal. They're not, they're not all the same. So it wasn't like the entire rabbinic tradition was saying, hate your enemies. Jesus is quoting a a popular strand of it. So a piece of it. But your point is still the same is that there's people going around that say this and it's, there's enough going around that people can say, you've heard it said. He can just quote it. And people aren't going, I've never heard that in my life. He's quoting it. And then he's radically trans, he's, he's saying, no, that's not God's complete, perfect yeah. will. It's like he's saying, you've heard this shadow, here's the actual yeah, truth. that's right. Um, and and that, this was your metaphor of kind of like the foggy yeah, glass. Sure, yeah. It's like, you've seen the foggy version, here's what it actually is pointing to. And so when it, so with all of these things, and again, you know, it's like you wish that, that Jesus said, you heard it said this about slavery. Well, I say don't even have slaves. He doesn't yeah. say that. But the principle applies. Because you wish you say that about polygamy. Hey, how about this? God should have gave us um, some 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 laws about our enemies and how yeah. we ought to treat them, how that um, an eye for an eye would leave everyone blind and that yeah. the love would heal the world. He also, when he was doing that, probably should gave us some insight into curing some of these horrific diseases yeah. that go There's around. There's tons of stuff. I mean, think about something as gigantically important now as pornography. We don't, mm-hmm. you know masturbation, all of these other things that people are constantly asking Worried million of, questions yeah. about. There's just not, we, you don't, you should not expect a crystal clear ruling on every single ethical question ever. But the pattern is clearly being demonstrated here that God in the Mosaic law is tolerating things, human evils, and bringing regulation to them that he will eventually have a different ideal revealed for. So that by the time you get to the New Testament, you can have someone say there's neither Jew nor Gentile slave nor free. Right. And it's like, you don't just get there overnight. The ancient world was not thinking like yeah. that. You have it powerfully too in the, in the teaching of the prophets prior to the new Testament that prophet after prophet will say things like, why does God condemn Israel? Because you don't care for the sojourner. Yeah. The, the, it's the widow and the orphan, but it's yeah. also like paired right up there with them is the outsider from a different nation. So the, there's this expectation that you treat the marginalized, the weak, and the oppressed well if you are God's people. That's, that's what God's followers in the Old Testament and the New Testament should be, should be known as. And, you know, you could hear someone say to one of the prophets, what are you talking about, Isaiah? It says right here, I'm, I'm yeah. allowed to do this. And, and Isaiah would be like, that's not God's heart. Yeah. God's heart is not, you know, what... You know, it's, it's it's a childish thing to say. What's the line, and how much can I do yeah. before I get in trouble? That's and that's not how the heart of God works. Yeah. It's not how the ethical law of God works. You have the famous verse in Isaiah fifty eight six. Is this not the fast that I choose? This is God talking through Isaiah. So he goes, I'm not impressed by all your fasting and all your all your you know shows of religious piety. Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of the of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and break every yoke. There's this idea that what God actually wants from his people is that you free the oppressed, care for the, you know, the widow, the orphan, the downtrodden, the sojourner, the exile. And so, like you said, then when you get to the New Testament, what you have is these like 
category boundary breaking ideas that Paul teaches more than once that there is no there is neither Jew nor Greek there's neither slave nor free there's no male and female all are one in Christ Jesus so he doesn't say everybody free your slaves today but he says your slave is every bit as valuable as you and that is crystal clear all throughout the and New you Testament. love him like a brother yeah so however however this institution is still intact you have to love them like a brother which ultimately and here's here's the sad part and it's the most horrific sad part is that history is filled then with people not seeing the standard that God has set or the heart of God clearly revealed in Jesus. And they take these passages where something is allowed first off in like in the old Testament right. or something. And then they continue to practice the institution of slavery. Um, and at least in, American culture, this was still going on until very recently in human history. And as you said, there's still places in the world where this is still going on. Um, and so that's always the sad part is when people who say they love God clearly are missing the heart of God in the big picture of this. Yeah. Um, and it, it took way too long, but it needs to be noted that it was Christians who finally, after hundreds of years, thousands of years too long, but it was Christians who were leading the way and saying, this stuff is evil. We yeah, can't and, and allow it to And most importantly, it was Christians and for Christian reasons. Yeah. So it's not arbitrary that Christian, Judeo-Christian nations and Christian individuals for Christian reasons launched the abolition movement. Because it was, as you said, it was rooted in the idea that human beings are made in the image of God. They have value. Therefore, there is no way we can treat them this way. And those seeds are planted in the New Testament. I mean, the idea that there's no slave or free, no male or female, like yeah. that's... If you fulfill the law by loving, how, how can you love and mistreat? Yeah. Like it doesn't add a... Paul or, tells people who own slaves, he goes, slave masters, you better treat those under your care well. You know why? Because you've got a master mm -hmm. and your master is the same as his. So there's like, I mean, that, by the way, just the fact that in the first century, someone's saying in the same passage that he says, hey... If you're a doulos, if you're that bond servant, here's how you should behave. To the people who they serve, he has regulation for them too. I mean, that's that's crazy too. Yeah, and the other thing is that no matter what, this stuff is difficult. It's very difficult to understand theologically kind of with their minds. Then it's emotionally difficult. And we have just, you know, like, like we said, I can't even look at the memes of some of this stuff no. because just the immense human suffering that goes on just the evil that human beings are capable of doing is is beyond description but the one thing i would have everyone focus in on is that at the heart of the christian story the center of the christian claim is the story that god himself the king would come down and as in philippians 2 outlines yeah. would come down not just to be a human but that he would come to be a, a human who would be a servant, a doulos in the Greek. Yeah. And then that doulos would then go even further down to the depths and die. And then the God who became the doulos to go down to death went even further. And Paul says that he went to die the death on a cross. The death of a slave. Which in the first century Roman world, the cross was the slave's execution. So you, gotta, you have to understand the power of this. God himself dies the slave's death to, 
lead the captives into freedom. And he uses that word. I mean, that's this is where your translation can sometimes, I mean, there's footnotes and stuff, but you can pull up my, my screen here, Kev. The, the verse that Isaac's referencing says, have this uh, mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave. I mean, that word doulos. He gives up his rights. He, was, he, had, he could claim equal with God. He gives that up, lays it aside, giving up the divine prerogatives, and comes in to be the doulos, the, the slave. And this is to Suzanne's point earlier. Paul then will, in many of his letters, introduce himself as that same word. He'll say, Paul, a not, not a mighty apostle among you, bow down everybody. It's Paul, a doulos of Christ Jesus. It's like he sees that pattern that the, you know, the leader, the greatest one of all is going to become the doulos in order to save humanity. And he's imitating it. And so, man, what, what does the Christian do? You become the servant. Um, and there's, there's something about that that sets, the, again, the pattern for human history. I mean, there's a reason the very first person to write an, an anti-slavery thing in human history that we have written down mm-hmm. is Gregory of Nyssa in the 4th century. He's a Christian, and he's writing it for Christian reasons. Yeah. In the 4th century, as you, that's what, kind of to my point is it took us way too long. Way too long. But you still had people very early on making these arguments. Yeah. And so, again, if you, if you follow the flow of the entire story of Scripture, you see what God is doing, not just in slavery, but in a ton of other areas. He's not, he's, Genesis 1 and 2 shows you what the ideal is. It's God determines what's good and bad. Human beings represent God on earth. Um, and then there's the fall and all of the consequences of the fall. And into that fallen world, God is gradually revealing himself. Yeah, and it's not even a revealed to the whole nations yet. Again, right. it's to a small people group who they themselves were brought out of slavery in Egypt, and he gives them the law. And some of that is don't do this, some of it's do this, but a lot of it is putting restraints on evil. And Jesus' words are crystal clear. They're so important. It's That's there because the hardness of your own heart. If I yeah. told you what I really would want, you wouldn't do it. And you could, you know, here's the thing. You could be saying like, well, if he told them, I'm sure people would have listened. Like we now have the perfect will of God revealed in the person of Jesus. Ain't nobody obeying that perfectly. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's a way to check our hearts and be like, before we make a complaint against God himself, are we even doing our best to embody the commands of love that, that we have clearly given? Yeah. Have been clearly given. Yeah. And so again, as we wrap up here, I think that the... The number one key takeaway here is that the God of the Bible is the God who empties himself and becomes the do loss. And it's the same thing when you talk about human suffering, you go, man, I don't, I really don't have a great clean answer for why there is so much horrific suffering in the world. But I believe in a God who stepped into that suffering and took upon himself the suffering of humanity and didn't sit detached from it far away. Um, and I think there's something to be said about that, even with the institution and idea of slavery, that God is against it. God is for human flourishing always. And the God you serve is not a God who comes down as a king leading a big old army of captured people. He's a God who becomes the slave, dies the, the slave's death. The Genesis 1 account, by saying all people are made in the image of God, is again saying the Pharaoh and the rulers, they're not the special ones. Everyone has this. Everyone. 
And I, I know I've repeated that twice, but that is such a radical statement in the ancient world. And even though you may not think it's like a radical statement today, it is. Because look at the way we treat each other. Yeah. Are we treating every every single human being you come into contact with is made in the image of God? Yeah. Are you? Tr- There's a quote you you might know it, it, it from from C.S. Lewis. It's it's like every time you see a human being, it's like yeah. He says you've never seen a normal human being. You've never seen a normal human. You are always seeing an image of God, an image of the divine. Yeah. And if you were to truly live that out, if we were to truly live that out. World wouldn't look like yeah. how it looks right no. now. And so look at the eyes of history and ask yourself, why do I think, why do I believe slavery is wrong? Why, why do modern Western people believe slavery is wrong? Why do those passages in the Bible upset you? Because it's not because of something Roman Greece taught you. No. If you were alive in first century Roman world and you were part of the ruling class, you wouldn't have woke up one day and be like, oh, this is so horrific. You've had 2,000 years of the Judeo-Christian ethic to instill in you that all people are made in the image of God and worthy of love and have value yeah. intrinsically and inherently. The, why, the very reason why you look back with the standard and make a judgment is because that standard was given yeah. to you over the last 2,000 years. By the years. same book that troubles you in this yeah. area. And so that's that's a huge part of the key. Um, but yeah, difficult stuff, no question, but just understand that it is in the person of Jesus that you see the final and ultimate revelation of what God's actual ethic is. Yep. Um, and so don't expect necessarily that in those Old Testament laws, you're going to see that revealed. And all the law can be fulfilled by loving your neighbor. Your and neighbor. who is your neighbor? The person you like least, Jesus says. Hey, that's a pretty good way to end. That'll preach. It Thanks will. for being here, everybody. Next week, is the Bible sexist and misogynistic? On that note, see you later.